0: What's happening? How are you doing? You can't tell me because you're listening to this. But that doesn't mean I don't care. Welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. I am so excited. Always, every week, this is actually one of my favorite things that I do. And that's a real blessing to be able to do that. I am currently in Calgary, Alberta, in Canada. And for those of you who don't know it, it is like the Texas of Canada. That's sort of how I think about it. you know. And this is where I grew up. And it's always beautiful to be home. I had an event here last night. And yesterday, I thought to myself, "Oh, well, you know, previously when I booked my flight, I thought, you know what, I'll catch an early flight. Then I can catch up with a couple friends that I haven't seen in a bit. And so I get to the airport for my earlier flight. I mean, 9 a.m. is not that early. But, you know, for those early birds out there, they're like, <laughs> try having kids. Yeah, I get it. And I get there find out my flight's been delayed 35 or 45 minutes I'm like okay I can hack that because you know when you book a flight and you don't choose the later flights and you're trying to choose between them and then the later flights start leaving <laughs> before your delayed flight so my flight got delayed again and so the 10 a.m flight left as I was sitting there and then the 11 a.m and us left at around the same time and formerly I might have been like ah, oh, goddamn planes you know, this is bullshit. Airlines are always delayed, which is not totally untrue. And I don't have that perspective anymore. I now very much have the perspective that if that happens, then I'm not meant to be in another place. I'm not meant to be in Calgary at that time. I'm meant to be there later. And who knows if that saves me from a car accident or saves me from something. Just like I remember once uh, being delayed while I was driving home. There was big traffic from a car accident and... Um, the delay was not that long, you know, a couple of minutes. And I was later walking and realized that just like maybe one minute ahead of me in the walk, uh, which I had to do later that day. So it was part of my plan um, to orchestrate my day that way. And I saw a car run a red light, um, which I would have been crossing. And I thought, you know, just that delay could have led to me not being in front of that car. So this is the, the serendipitous nature of which we have the opportunity to see life. It's a very powerful way to shift your mind when you stop seeing that these things that are inconveniences might be actually saving you from things. And they also might be putting you in the place of opportunity, putting you in the, the place of serendipity, synchronicity. I really do believe that when you can get into that state, not only do you lower your cortisol because you're not mad at everything, and you're not believing that the world should have worked out differently, that it's not fair to you. You know, there's a great line from Carolyn Mace, where she says that one of the greatest pains we'll all experience is the belief that we deserved a different childhood than the one we had. That there's this alternate world where we had a perfect childhood, but we got the bad, you know, the, the short straw. And that other world doesn't exist, you know, that that other life that we believe should we should have had and we should should have experienced and should have been given, the moment we believe that, we can't take charge of what has actually happened. If you reject any moment of your life, then you won't be able to learn from it. You won't be able to let it flow through you. And when it flows through you and you can turn towards it and you can say, you hurt me, that hurt me, that sucked, what can you teach me? And that's how we change patterns, is recognizing the wisdom within pain and struggle. You know, I often think about triggers. You know, triggers in conversation, triggers in life, not feeling considered, not feeling understood, safe, loved, all those things. In all of those triggers is an opportunity for mastery of a different way of responding. Mastery of a response. And that's where a real brilliant transition happens in our relational life, where we used to build walls, we start to build bridges. And that, that is a moment that we all, um, I think, are continually striving to get through because, of course, our world <laughs> is filled with triggers, let's be honest. You just have to watch the news, you just have to, you know, open your phone. And not to mention that our phone is a giant space of anxiety-inducing, overt opportunity. You know, I was reading a thing about how our brains... The same way that they would get rewarded for finding new food and berries, they actually get rewarded for finding new knowledge and using Google. So there you go. I'm not a neuroscientist, but that felt very neuroscientisty, didn't it? So, all right. Well, this week, speaking of that, I think that a lot of us really want and are probably on the journey, as I am continuously of discovering who we are, discovering what we want, discovering is this me that is choosing this life or is this the life that I've been told to choose? I think we all wake up at some point to some things, not all things, but to some things that we chose that were not necessarily what we actually wanted and things that we chose because we thought we were supposed to. Now, the other day I was reading a comment from someone on Instagram and it said, Um, She said that, I just need to figure out who I am. And to me, that's sort of a, a different way of looking at things. I see it as, you just need to figure out who you are not. You need to learn what things that you learned are not actually authentic expressions of you. And the only way you'll really know that is by feeling within yourself when you say something or feel a thought or a belief if it actually resonates with your soul. If you don't actually know how to connect to your soul, your heart, your being, meditation is a great pathway to do that. Insight Timer is a great app to use that. You can learn how to meditate on there. Meditation is also a great practice to help you in a relationship because between that trigger and response, you massively extend that space just by practicing the art of meditation. So if you want to dive deeper into that relational stuff, my partner Kylie and I had have created a six-week course that's called How to Create the Love. And it is about diving deep into your patterns, your beliefs, all how you show up in relationship today, reparenting the inner child, learning how to master boundaries, communication, attachment style, all of that jazz. It's very thorough and it's amazing value. It's, it's, we've already had about 500 people go through it and just spectacular results. And all you have to do is go to bit.ly slash create the love. So bit.ly slash create the love. And sign up soon because the uh, course actually starts on July 8th. So you just got to get in before the 7th. And speaking of all of that, of like this discovery and this unfolding, the guest that I have this week is a good friend of mine named Leah Brathwaite. And I don't want to give away everything but Leah um, grew up in a religious home. And I think a lot of us struggle with the traditional things that were taught through the doctrines of religion that don't always feel loving or unconditionally loving. And I grew up Catholic. I often refer to myself as a recovering Catholic. And a lot of my teenage years were practicing figuring out why some of the things I was taught felt so shame-inducing and guilt-inducing but didn't actually make me feel good in my being, that there wasn't this space for unconditional love and for acceptance and for errors. and that, that has been a really important journey, and I think one for everybody is, what is your spiritual practice? We don't choose our spiritual practices till we do. You're born into it. When you think about it, is the spiritual practice you were born into the one that actually resonates with you? do you feel comfortable having these rules and regulations that maybe don't feel right for you? You know, in religion that, in all the research where sexuality is taught through abstinence, it doesn't work. In all the states that teach abstinence, they have the highest teenage pregnancy and the highest rates of STIs, you know? And so, really, we can't be fearing these things. We can't. We have to teach empowerment. We have to teach education. We, you know, and this is interesting in Europe... They start to teach sexuality and sex at in when kids are four, but they do it from a progression, you know, they're not like telling a four year old like this is a breast and this you know, they're talking about it in the rate of what their understanding is capable at that time. But what's interesting is they don't teach the subject of sex separate of relationship. So they teach sex relationally. That it's a relational aspect, sex and intimacy. And that's separate of what we do in North America. And the rates of teen pregnancy and STIs is much higher in North America than in Europe. So it tells you that they're doing something right. So in light of all that, my friend Leah grew up in a religious household, and she unfolded her life and did the process of figuring out who she is. She wrote a really beautiful book that goes through her journey. We talk about all of this. I'm really excited for people to hear this because I think this is stuff that needs to be talked about more, this unconditional acceptance of being human and failing and making mistakes and rising from that but still being loved not losing your community and your family because you are human and you made decisions from a lower level of awareness you know we make decisions at 20 that we'd never make at 30 I mean gosh that's definitely true for me so without further ado uh, I'm really excited to share with you this episode And if you could, wherever you listen to this, give me a five-star review, that would be amazing, and leave a written review. That's so helpful. And I hope to see you signed up on the course, and we get started on July 8th. So make sure you go to bit.ly slash create the love. And without further ado, here she is, and here I am. Have a good week, everybody. will get my first haters on the Mark Rose podcast. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Leah Brathwaite. Did I pronounce that right?
1: You did. Yeah, you got
0: it. (laughs) Welcome, Leah Brathwaite, to the Mark Rose podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm so pumped to be here.
0: So for those of you listening, Leah and I go back quite a while now. What is it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wait. Uh, I feel like so much time has passed. I can't even tell, at least.
0: <laughs> it's, time is really just a, I mean, something real, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So either way, from many lifetimes, we are, we are <laughs> exactly. brothers and sisters. So I'm just excited to share your story with my listeners, because I feel like so many people can relate on so many levels. And you talk about things that are very scary for a lot of people to actually confront Mm -hmm. and and i i both respect admire and i all of the above and (laughs) inspired by your willingness because really in a lot of ways and for those people listening are like what the fuck has she done like can we just get (laughs) um In a lot of ways, you know, I remember when you're forging a new path, you're the one taking all the bushes to the face. Oh, totally. And I feel like you took a lot of branches to the head.
1: Yeah, there were a few for sure, definitely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you wrote a book, mm-hmm. which came out called "A New Way of Life: A Guide for Transformation from Living a Lie to Freeing Your Soul." Yeah, pretty heavy title. <laughs> the fucking title, right? <laughs> right. <Okay. laughs> Okay, so let's just get right into that. So, so in that subtitle of like a guide from living a life, a transformation from living a life to uh, freeing your soul. Mm-hmm. Where did that start? Where? What were the lies that you lived within, or or like what layers?
1: Oh my gosh, there were so many of them. But I think it came to a point where. I just realized I wasn't living as who I actually wanted to be and the things that I wanted to accomplish seemed so far outside of where I was able to reach from where I was that I really just needed to figure out who I was and move in a different direction. And the whole story kind of is wrapped up in this book about how I left my religion, how I left my marriage, and how I had kind of essentially left the entire life that I had constructed for myself based on what I thought other people expected of me or based on what I thought I was supposed to do as like the good Christian girl. And it was really about the journey of finding my own way. Um, finding my soul, connecting with that part of me that wanted more than the life that I was settling for. And it was the steps that I took to kind of move into a new space and really take responsibility for my life and reclaim my life, essentially.
0: And I think so much, mo- like so often what you're saying about when you, you, do, you know, that saying, um, you can't see the forest when you're in the trees. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and when you're in the life that you've constructed mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you wake up in that life and you go, Holy shit. I'm in. Yeah. Story. Yeah. That is actually not my story. Yeah. What the, You know, like, I know what it's like to wake up in that moment where all of a sudden you're like, but I didn't choose all of these things, but I did choose all of them. So it's a weird paradox to be living in.
1: Yeah, totally. And I know, like, for a lot of people and a lot of the women that I work with, we have these stories, and even for men, too, we have these stories of what we're supposed to do by a certain age. There's like this program checklist of like, okay, you go to school, you get a job, you find your career, you find your partner, you get married, you have kids. And so I was living my life according to this checklist that was essentially programmed for me. And I didn't even think twice about it until I got to a point where I looked around and I was like, what the fuck? Like, I am not happy. I have all of the things that I'm supposed to have, like husband, houses, cars, like my life looked great on the outside, but I really just felt so empty inside. And I realized I was on this constant treadmill of like, okay, well, maybe if we buy a bigger house, then I'll be happier. Maybe once we go on vacation, I'll be able to relax. Or maybe on our anniversary, if he buys me the right present, then I'll feel loved and seen and all of this stuff and our relationship will be great. And it was really just these lies that I kept kind of feeding myself, like, I'm okay, This is fine. This is fine. This is totally great. This is what it's supposed to be like, right? And really just kind of trying to appease this growing anxiety and depression that was building because I was so far removed from who I really was and what I really wanted. So the book is essentially the journey of if you find yourself in that place, these are the steps to take to find yourself again, to reclaim ownership of your life and to let go of the lies and the stories that have perhaps gotten you to a place where you feel dissatisfied or searching for more.
0: I'm not sure so many people listening, because, you know, on any level at any time, we can be dissatisfied with some area of our life, if not our own, like our whole lives, you know, yeah. and I think in a lot of ways, we feel guilt and shame for having that feeling, especially if what we have is what we were taught to want to have, and our relationship isn't bad, but it's exactly. just not fulfilling.
1: Yes. Yeah. You
0: know? and, and so then we want to like nuke our life. And, you know, but there are steps you can take in order to move through that. Although sometimes nuking your life is actually an effective strategy.
1: I mean, there is that way to do it for sure. And like you were saying before, there is this kind of shame or this guilty feeling that goes with having something good, like it's fine, it's not like horrible, and wanting more still. And really, it's just this innate, I think, desire that we all have as humans to kind of reach for our potential. And so when we feel stagnant or we feel like we're being held back or we feel like we're in a satisfactory scenario, it's easy to kind of just coast and let it slide until you get to a point where your soul is literally just like, nah, man, like there's more more than just this. And so it's really how to overcome that sense of Disfati- dissatisfaction, or to find contentment where you are, and it's not about nuking your life and blowing it up. I mean, that is definitely one way to do things, but
0: <laughs> painful. <laughs> but, shit, but it's effective. oh
1: fuck, is it ever? But there's ways to kind of work around what's actually working in your life. Hold on to things that are still good, and still reach for something more. So it's about finding yourself first, and it's not about like getting rid of everything in your life. It's about really coming into who you are and then aligning your life with that. And oftentimes, like if nothing changes, nothing changes. So there are things on the outside that are going to change like relationships and that sort of thing. But um, when you start to really own who you are and, and align yourself with the things that are meant for you, your whole life literally transforms.
0: Yeah, there's that when you start to get on the path that you can feel exists outside of the path you're on. Mm-hmm. I feel like, though, as humans, the I mean, I can't speak to any other, as reptiles, you know. When, <laughs> but as humans, when we have this awareness of a different place that we, we, our soul is calling us to mm-hmm. and we don't acknowledge it or don't turn towards it because of the guilt and shame, then it keeps marinating and growing and totally. the pain of that, the anxiety, the depression of not moving towards that causes us to double down on the other life, you know, and I do totally. it's a lot, you know, it's like if Christians have beliefs that are being challenged that they know in their soul, and I'm not speaking just to Christians, but that's just an mm-hmm. example of all religions that have flaws in their doctrines, uh, which all religions do, you know, mm-hmm. no offense to <laughs> listening, uh, but there, as that happens, they double down on a commitment or a belief and they hold tighter to the religion. Just oh, like yeah. you said, like, maybe if I buy a bigger house. Yeah. Right.
1: And I literally did that. Like when I had those crises of faith, I call them, or those moments where I was literally like, I don't feel good about this. Maybe I just need to pray more. Maybe I just need to like dig in a little deeper. And really that's what it, it, it that wasn't it. The anxiety that I was feeling was this dissonance between the truth of who I was and what I was trying to fit into to basically fit in with everybody's expectations or what I thought everybody's expectations were.
0: So what, what were the layers? So you grew up as a Jehovah's Witness, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think j, what, J-ho's can be called. A- <laughs> sure,
1: J-dubs, J-ho's. j
0: Oh yeah, J-dubs, that's right, that's the acronym. <laughs> like j o that's probably not as great <laughs> uh, j dub real p c there <laughs> yeah real p c really you know this podcast isn't known for its p c no, so no, no. <laughs> i'm on a roll so the, <laughs> so a j a j dub so as a J- I don't think J Dubs can even do yoga, right? Technically, to the like letter of the religion,
1: it's definitely not encouraged. And it's funny because when I was in college, um, it was something that I wanted to do because I was I went to school for dental hygiene, and it's such a physically demanding job. And I wanted something to like stretch and to release really all the the physical tension yeah. of it. And so I had actually started taking a couple classes. And when I let like some of the friends that I had in my congregation know, they were just kind of like, oh, uh-huh. And it was such an uncomfortable feeling because the the practices or the principles of um coming into yourself and meditation and that sort of thing that is taught in yoga doesn't really match up with the dogma or the pra- the teachings of the specific religion. So yeah, it's not something that that they're really uh I
0: guess they're not encouraging. They're not not at all. I noticed your lower back has been bothering you. You Mm -hmm. should go do some downward dogs. (laughs) You know, that's (laughs) not, that's not. (laughs) So you were, so what were the layers of, like, tell us who were the, what was lie you or like the lying version of you as you woke up and you unpeeled those layers? What had you constructed for other people?
1: Well, I think it was not even just the religion. I think it's something that we all kind of go through. As we move through our childhoods, we're bumped by experiences that we can't necessarily um, regulate or understand for ourselves. So whether it's a parent who doesn't give us attention when we really want their attention or a kid at school that's mean to us on the bus, we start to create these stories about ourselves and we make these meanings about um, who we are based on how other people receive us. So these stories began for me, or these lies began really early on, even before the understanding of a religion. And it was the upbringing that I had and the way that my parents' relationship was and the way that um, my family's dynamic was, because it was a challenging childhood. And the stories of the lies really started there. It was this um, sense of, Unworthiness that began at a really young age. It was this sense of unimportance or um, only really being seen when I was performing or only really getting affection if I would do something that would make somebody happy. So the lies began as like becoming a people pleaser, learning to Mm. read other people's um, emotions and be what they wanted me to be so that I could get affection in a specific way or um really be being, being driven to perform like my affection from my dad especially came from when i did something that would make him look good so uh, all of a sudden it was really this idea of like okay if i can just be enough and get good enough grades or whatever it is so it it created this whole system that love only comes through work, like it's earned. It's not something that's unconditional. Um, my value was only in what I could provide for others, and this sense of boundaries. I had no idea what a boundary was, so I was just like, "Your emotions are my responsibility. You're mad, okay, cool. I'm gonna like do something to make you not so mad. Or if you're mad, it must be because I did something wrong." So I grew into this whole story or these lies of really not having my own sense of identity and looking outside of myself for validation for affection for any of my needs being met they were really tied up in in other people and then on top of that having a really suppressive religion that kind of doesn't govern any sort of independence it's you don't you're just a human and you don't know how to regulate yourself so you need this religion to kind of tell you what to do that really negates any sense of autonomy over your life or any sense of ability to um, really make your your own path in life or really kind of forge your own way. So all of those things kind of compounded into this one moment where I realized I felt like I was in somebody else's life. Like I had a moment where I was just like, what have I done? Mm. Like I'm looking around, it looks like I should be happy. On the outside, my life looks perfect, um, but I was just so empty inside because I had no idea who I want, who I was, and I, I really had no idea what I wanted out of life. I was just kind of going through the motions of what I thought being a human in society was
0: Yeah, to be able to recognize that like all of your needs have never been acknowledged or even sought after. Yeah. And and that happens so much when we have a childhood where our needs are not even important because we had like an alcoholic parent, an angry Mm -hmm. parent, a sociopathic parent, like whatever it is, where Mm -hmm. all of a sudden our survival strategy is to either not be seen or to be high performing. you know, become a perfectionist. I mean, there's many survival strategies, but to be a troublemaker, you know, Mm -hmm. there's so many different ones. I'm wondering what was the response if you didn't perform, like what was the cost of, of like not achieving or not being perfect or not any of those?
1: It was really just not being seen. So there was this weird tension that I had of really wanting to be seen, um, And I guess like you can attribute it to middle child syndrome, whatever you want to call it, but Mm. just feeling like I didn't really fit in anywhere and I didn't really know how to meet my own needs or to have my needs met. And so if I would perform, then I would get at least a bit of affection. And then if I didn't, I would just be completely ignored. And so Mm. it was this tension of, but then if I perform too much, then others wouldn't look so good. For instance, like my brother or sister would suffer. We like the emotional landscape of my home was um, challenging for sure to navigate for a kid. Even as an adult, sometimes I'm still like, well, there some things <laughs> that? That I'm like, that was it's really confusing. And I love my parents both dearly. Like I know that they've done the absolute best that they could with what they with what they had, but it really just made for a confusing dynamic in my own mind of like, where do I fit in and how do I navigate in the world? Like it just, I, I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere.
0: Like don't shine too much.
1: Exactly. Don't, don't
0: under, don't underperform and don't overperform Exactly. In a space that makes other people feel safe and yeah. also feel seen. Holy shit. And then you couple that with the religious messages of like, be good. Mm-hmm. And if you're not good with quote unquote, Yeah. Um, then what? Like what's the consequence that's the narrative that's gifted to you uh, if you're not good?
1: Well, essentially there's um, just this permeating sense and I'm speaking from my own experience in this religion, but it's just a sense of really not allowing yourself to question too much. So if there's something that you don't agree with, it's better to just, kind of keep it to yourself, do some more research, figure it out, read some books that are published by the organization and it'll kind of like, yeah. So it just kind of keeps that loop going. And the idea of questioning or the idea of pursuing anything for yourself was really just like looked at as something really selfish. Like essentially your, your life in this lifetime is to dedicate yourself to God and then the next lifetime you'll, be in paradise and it'll be wonderful. But for this yeah, one, it's
0: so good. You know, put yeah. in effort now and
1: so it creates this life. dissonance between our natural instinct to want to grow and expand and to yeah. like see what our potential will allow for us and this idea that doing that is selfish. And so again, it was that tension between like shine and do good, but not too good because then that is too self-centered and and it takes away from, from your ability to really serve in, in, a, in a, I guess, in a greater capacity as far as religion is concerned. So there was always this tension between what I felt really deep inside that I couldn't really put words to and what I was being taught. And it essentially ended up in like a huge amount of anxiety, a oh huge amount God. of depression, yeah. And really this moment where I was like, okay, enough. Like, I'm tired of feeling like stuck between these two systems that that aren't really serving me.
0: Like, I don't feel like home. Yeah. yeah. So how do you begin? Like, how did you label that there was a part of you that actually needed to create a different life? Like, how do you label that when you're in the forest?
1: I mean... you get to a bit of a clearing and there's like a moment of grace that comes in. And I've had a few of them before. I think we all have these moments where we wake up and we're like, wait, what the fuck? Like you have these insights that come through and it's usually asking you to do something uncomfortable. It's usually asking you to kind of step outside of where you are to look at things. But I had like a, a couple of panic attacks that were really like my, I call it my soul trying to wake me up and say like, girl, what are you doing? But this one particular time where I was um, at home in the kitchen, and it all of a sudden just hit me, and I could literally feel my mind split in two. And there was something that was just rising up that was like, not for another second, like, no more of this. And it was almost like I was witnessing two parts of myself, and essentially I was. It was this deeper part of myself that was like, you have been living this lie. This is not who you are. This is not actually what you want. And you've constructed this, like, look around. And as I looked around at this beautiful home that we had just built, I had the perfect kitchen. I had all the appliances I fought like, <laughs> for. Like literally everything Funny was the way I, appliances I
0: wanted it. are like part of our perfect life. Like Oh my gosh, this fridge though. A fridge can be hot. <laughs> like a fridge can be so sexy.
1: Oh my God. I still think about this fridge. I'm like, oh, did
0: I let that, that go. I but... love how you're, yeah. Like your ex-husband, you're like, yeah, he was nice. He was great, <laughs> whatever. I but... know. That <laughs> fridge was fucking amazing. It was
1: mint. Um, but, yeah, I, I was literally in my dream kitchen looking around and being like, oh, my God, I am not happy. And I have worked so hard for this. Like, I have, <laughs> like,
0: yeah, like. You have clean teeth. A lot of teeth. <laughs> A
1: lot of teeth. And I had been through so much to get to that point. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I think I've been doing this wrong this whole time. Like, oh. I have like this yeah. checklist and I have everything checked off and I was performance based. So I was like an overachiever. You are crushing.
0: Like, crushing the checklist. Yeah. yeah.
1: I was like, first to be married, first to have two houses, for like I was just killing that checklist. And then I realized I had gotten wrapped up into something that was like a, a hamster wheel that was like spinning out of control. And that was the moment where I was like. Okay, I have a choice. Like, I can pretend that I'm not experiencing this awakening, breakthrough, breakdown, whatever you want to call it, and just carry on as like yeah. I have been. So,
0: yes, some antidepressants yeah. and some anti-anxiety drugs, and yeah. we'll just, we'll just, yeah, we'll just. What is that uh, drug that got really famous in the '80s? The antidepressant, anti-depre- Prozac. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just Prozac that shit. It'll be- not
1: even that. I was like, I'll just go to HomeSense and buy new pillows, and then I'll be fine because the living room will be updated and fresh. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. like, My life not updated and fresh pillows, though.
1: But that living room. And it was all about the appearance because, like, in my household, it was essentially like we were the perfect family on the outside, but inside behind closed doors, it was a shit show. So I was used to just being like, smile everything's yeah. great. The house is beautifully decorated, but the feeling inside is just sheer emptiness. And so it was literally a moment where I was like terrified because I didn't know what was on the other side of that feeling. I had been so good at pretending for so many years. I thought, okay, I can keep pretending, but what is this going to look like 10 years from now? Like if I'm already at this low mm-hmm. level, so anxious, feeling depressed and empty, and I have all the things, like, how much longer can I do this for?
0: Well, it's like the snowball just oh, yeah. bigger and bigger. And I know what it's like to wake up in the momentum, mm-hmm. you know, to like be making decisions that have futures associated with them. Yes. That are futures we know we don't necessarily want. Mm-hmm. And so it's like anxiety town, of course. Oh, yeah. And at the same time, this like feeling of doom. Like, yeah. I can't possibly undo all of this. I've, I've yeah. already put the deposit down. I've already, you know, <laughs> fuck.
1: Oh my gosh, that, <sighs> that's the story that I was telling myself. And for so many major decisions in my life, I was like, well, I mean, I don't love cleaning teeth, but I just spent two years and a whole shit ton of money on it. So I might as well make the best of it. Or I've been in a relationship for this long and it doesn't feel right. But the next step is to get married because family pressure, religious pressure, like pressure, 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 and -hmm. just buying into these ideas that are not really our own. And then you realize you look back and you're like, well, now everybody showed up for a wedding and I can't send them all home. Like they bought gifts or now I have this mortgage. I can't just blow up my life because I have responsibilities. And so we dig ourselves deeper into these lies that we don't even want to believe. And then, and then it's like, okay, now what? Where do I go from here?
0: When it's so hard to have that conversation safely with people we yeah. know because yeah. our own questioning of everything starts to scare them about their own life and everything uh-huh. they have in question. So it's kind of like when one person wakes up, it invites so many people to wake up around them mm-hmm. or to suppress them again. Mm-hmm. Like, so to almost like double down on the religious pressure, double down on the, Demi- you, why are you even upset you have everything
1: yeah it's why like can't
0: you be grateful
1: exactly exactly that's what it was and that was like one of the biggest like fears that I had that somebody would think I was selfish or ungrateful because I was really grateful for everything I just wasn't happy <laughs> and that made me feel yeah. shameful yeah. about it
0: so much shame to want more yeah to crave more but to also know you've never allowed yourself it
1: yeah yeah
0: that was a space that I, like I saw all the ways that I didn't allow myself to live fully, mm-hmm. like, man. Cause you're waking up, woke up to like, your way out was about a total rebellion. Like everything that was demanded of you required (laughs) a complete rebellion.
1: Yeah, in so many ways. Um, And it first started that moment in the kitchen when I'm like putting away groceries, and my husband at the time walks up and he's like, What the hell's going on? Because I literally had this panic look on my face of like, Something's happening, and I need to make a decision right here, right now. And I chose to speak up instead of being like, Oh, I'm fine. It's great. Like, (laughs) whatever, like I usually did. I was like, I think there's something wrong. And I think I need to see a therapist. He was like, okay. (laughs) And that was the beginning of it. Just taking that one step and choosing to honor that feeling that I was having, choosing to honor myself was the catalyst for so much change. And it doesn't need to be a major blowing up of your life to start a transformation. It really just takes like 10 seconds of courage to choose yourself in a moment to say no i'm not okay or to say mm-hmm. i don't want like, this to continue to yeah. acknowledge that there's something else going on and then from there the next right step appears in front of you the same way that you can easily keep taking the same steps in this hamster wheel of of mm-hmm. like the checklist you can start doing the same process in the the new way of life of creating a transformative experience where you really take responsibility own who you are, own your desires, and start making the life that you imagine for yourself. Because for years I was like, "This can't possibly be it. Like, this is it. This I is got everything
0: I was that actually yeah, was what like, what I felt." You know, after I got engaged yeah. and I had the best human as a fiance, just such a mm-hmm. tremendous human. And I remember thinking, like, I achieved all the things I was told to want, and I yeah. don't feel. I feel empty. Yeah. Some and i think worse. like claiming that truth for the first time instead of because what i did is i then went on a research mission to figure out what was wrong with me mm-hmm. oh, i did accept what yeah. was going on and that yeah. i couldn't appreciate what i had mm-hmm. and i was told i was afraid to grow up and yeah. uh, peter pan syndrome all the things yeah. all the shame tactics yeah. and then and then all of a sudden i was like wait what happens if it's not me mhm You know, and that claiming the truth, I think is the most powerful first step of like, this is the truth and I don't know what it means.
1: Yes, absolutely. But it goes like circling back to like being kids. Like we do the exact same thing. I did the exact same thing. I'm like, I love these things. I'm not happy. There must be something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And as a kid, when you see these, these interactions outside, like, mom and dad are mad. They're fighting. It must be about me. Like we make it about ourselves and create this whole story. Like I'm a bad person. It's all my fault. And that is kind of the lie that carries us through so many years until, like you said, we illuminate the truth of like, what if it's not me being a bad person? What if this thing that is really powerfully driving me inside or really calling to me deep in my heart is actually what I need to be listening to instead of trying to shut down. And that's when everything starts to open up. And so it was the same with me. I was like, there's got to be something. There's some, I think there's something wrong with me. I need to see a therapist. And essentially my therapist was like, no, nah, girl, there's nothing wrong with you. You just have been living in guilt and shame for so many years and invalidating your feelings and have no idea what you want or who you are and get that so you right. Didn't
0: get, you didn't get a J-Dub prescribed uh, Therapist, I take it.
1: No, well, actually, therapy was also something that wasn't, like, high on the priority list of, of, width, yeah, of, sure. uh, of ways to do it. It was more like, read the Bible, meditate some more, talk to... They talk
0: to the minister. You know, the yeah. What do you call what do Elders.
1: Call so he there was... Elder.
0: Even that name automatically creates hierarchy you
1: know yeah so no there offense
0: was... if you're a j-dub listening
1: <laughs> you're really going for the the j-ho <laughs>
0: i almost <laughs> want to say <laughs> I reckon. it's just jehovah's witness j-ho it just seems so easy mm-hmm. yeah so you go to a therapist therapist is like it's actually not you you've you've been not paying attention to your feelings your whole life mm-hmm. what are your feelings and was it like because i found when i actually pulled the plug on the, like i was like ooh. I've missed this. I've not done this. Mm-hmm. I've missed this opportunity. I didn't travel Europe because I was afraid. Mm-hmm. You know, like all the things I didn't choose, I felt the pain of that. Mm. And it felt like a a Rolodex got, you know, when you see people draw that art where each page and then you flick the page. And yes. That yeah. was like my life. I saw all the moments mm-hmm. that I sold myself out and didn't mm-hmm. live my own truth.
1: Mm-hmm. Totally. There was definitely a lot of that. And I think in any kind of healing transformation, growing journey, there's the realization of all the times you abandon yourself. And then there's the realization of all the moments that you had of the life that you had lived before that aren't going to come into fruition. So there's like this weird pool of almost like grieving that has to happen Mm -hmm. of everything that you constructed, that you let go of everything that you denied, that you, um, really wanted or, or all those moments where you abandon yourself, essentially there's, there's this understanding and this acknowledgement of all of that. And it comes in waves and it comes in uncoverings. But what really mm-hmm. kind of started after that was this, really this whole journey. It was the first time where I was like, okay, I'm just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other and uncovering who I actually am and what i actually want because as soon as i realized i had no clue it was really just this whole overwhelming sense of like i need to start learning but right around the same time that that happened um, i had started to pull away from the religion because i was noticing more and more that when i would be sitting there i'd be hearing things and i'm like i don't i don't agree with this like i don't this and it, it's not like it was something new. It had been going on for years. But I think with age, you kind of, like, get less tolerant of bullshit. You get less tolerant of things that- only totally
0: we really had that as young people. Oh, my gosh.
1: Right? I mean, I it know. wasn't
0: safe as teenagers. But, you know, at, no. like, 25, if all of a sudden we were like, that's bullshit. Because at 45, I'm not 45 yet, but I already adopted <laughs> that bullshit a little while ago. But- I think you do when you wake up. Cause yeah. I wake up. I don't mean hierarchically. I just mean when all of a sudden you wake up you're to all, aware, yeah. conscious patterns, those things totally. you've been doing that have been blind, the, all the programming, all the media, all the marketing, all the systems. And all of a sudden you're like, fuck. Yeah. yeah. You're just like in this soup of like, Oh
1: God. And I did have a moment yeah. earlier before when I was in my teens and I was like, Oh God, this is, I don't, I don't agree with this, but There was a traumatic incident that happened, and I got afraid of my own desire for more. I got afraid that I was being selfish if I went in pursuit of what really set my soul on fire. And so I just relegated back to what I knew that safe, comfortable zone of being confined to the church, listening to my parents. They're the only ones that have the answers. It's safer in that than it is to be outside on your own. And I write about it in the book this whole moment in time where I literally chose to abandon myself. I had just started waking up to this idea of like, what love could be in an unconditional way, in a way that I didn't have to perform in a way that I could be myself and still be accepted. It was the first time I really felt this acceptance from somebody else, but also of myself. And shortly after that, there was, um, this experience that I went through in my family a trauma that happened that I was just like, Nope, you know what? This is what happens when you try to do things on your own. Mm -hmm. It's too scary. I can't do it. And I, I, I went back and took like 10 steps backward and really was like, I'm a dig in and I'm going to be the best.
0: (laughs) I'm going to double down. I'm going
1: to double down on this religion and it's going to be the thing that gets me through.
0: Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Cause you know, sorry to interrupt. Um, Mm I was just thinking as you were saying that, that, that we, in that moment where we let go and we surrendered and we allowed our wings mm-hmm. to reach yeah. out and fly, and then we get slapped or our wing gets clipped or whatever mm-hmm. happens, we fail, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, and then we go back and see, oh, well, that's why the systems are in place. Exactly. That's why God mm-hmm. is here for me, mm-hmm. yeah, because I can now let go and let God Yeah. You know?
1: you give I up control and responsibility of your life and you're like cool i'll just be in like the pack the safety of it and i just i don't have to do anything scary i don't have to press against edges and to be perfectly honest again it comes back to the stories that we create and the meanings that we associate with these ideas for instance this this trauma that happened i made it about me when it was really my sister going through something yeah. and i was like this means that I, if she can't do it, that means I certainly can't do it. Mm. Instead of saying, we had a fucked up childhood. That's why this happened. It, was, it wasn't It was me that was bad. It wasn't her that was bad. It was just that she had bought into so much pain that she was trying to get out of it. And again, it comes back to w- what lies we choose to believe in. And the truth of the matter was, she was going through something that was allowing her to expand into her potential mm-hmm. and I didn't see it that way I just saw the fear in it I didn't see the love in it at all I just was so afraid and self preservation kicked in and I was like you
0: like survive mm-hmm. the survival strategies as yeah. A kind of, yeah
1: and I think yeah. we do that so often like We're afraid of our dreams because they are uncomfortable, because there is a potential for pain on the other side of them. And so we keep ourselves small. We hold ourselves back in these safe areas that don't necessarily feel great, but at least we know them. And at least we can kind of like navigate the idea of it. But when you're left on your own, like when I left the religion that had really been my foundation, like the belief system that I grew up with, along with that, all of my social circle, all of my friends, and and on top of that, I had also lost my career earlier to um, a nerve injury that just ended my career. I really felt like I was completely untethered Uh and by myself. And I didn't know who I was. And so it was this whole process of rebuilding a belief system, like really understanding and connecting with truth. And I did that through yoga, through meditation, through trainings, through reading every book I could, every podcast I could absorb. It really became my full-time job to uncover the truth. And it was I mean, it started like when I, essentially it started when I lost my career and I, I realized, okay, well, if I'm not my job, then who am I? And that was the beginning of this idea of like, ah, uh, I, might, I might be a little lost here. I'm, I might be a bit confused about things. And so a decade later, I've come to a place where I know who I am. I know what I want. I can accomplish things. I have full responsibility and autonomy over my life. And I'm now able to guide other people through that process and help them on their own evolutionary journey because really the book is essentially to help people avoid the amount of suffering that I went through because there was a lot of years of struggle there was a lot of trial and error and there was a lot of pain that could have been avoided had I had kind of an outline of something but I was really starting from scratch like I it was Mm -hmm. like I was reborn to the face oh yeah all, like left, right, and center. Like going through disability, going through divorce, going through
0: depression. Like all of those things. Oh my gosh, back. it's like thing after thing, you know. And yeah. it's like, uh, it's hard in those moments to believe. Like this is all for the greater good. This is. Oh yeah. That mentality gets built through that, you know. Exactly. When you know you can, mm-hmm. then. But when someone else says to you, like. Hey, like this is all just bringing more joy. And
1: it's like, i oh, like fuck you, this, though, is like, like, this is not joyful. Yeah. No, like, like, wow.
0: yeah, maybe buying something, you know? Yeah. Uh, you like, know? Get like, me out of this. Is yeah. That- like, show me the path, which I mean, I have watched your transformation even just in the last two years or whatever mm-hmm. time, obviously not a construct. So, in the last lifetime, <laughs> but I've watched you, like, and I think there's no better than a teacher that has walk the actual path and then taught from the space because
1: mm-hmm.
0: you're a master at that. You know how to do it. You did mm-hmm.
1: it. Mm-hmm.
0: And you yeah. know, your life now is such a reflection of that.
1: Yeah. And I think on the other side of it, you can look back and you can, you can glean the gifts from everything that we go through. And I can honestly say like the really shitty times are really just what you, not to say that they're, in your favor necessarily. Like they're not great things that happen, of course, but what you choose to take from them and how you choose to interpret them, it can either be you're a victim of it or you become, um, so much stronger from it. And I think in everybody's journey, there's moments of transformation and you can either become a victim and say, it was everything outside of me that happened, and that's why. Or you can say, all of this stuff happened, and because of it, I rose above it. And it's really a matter of choice. Like, how you choose to look at things, how you choose to um, move forward through things can either empower you or disempower you, and it's up to you to choose how you want to see it.
0: Yeah, I always think now, like, this was not my perspective at 27 when my life Mm -hmm. melted. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think now, and, and probably for the last 10 years, maybe, mm-hmm. um, I have had the perspective when I'm in pain and in a shift mm-hmm. or in a lesson or in the shit yeah. that I'm like, something greater is unfolding for me and, and from me. Like yeah. a greater version of me is being birthed. And I was listening to Abraham Hicks, Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was saying that, well, I guess he was saying through her, but whatever. <laughs> they. <laughs> <laughs> they were saying um, that when you make a de- declaration for something like the best relationship or mm-hmm. a dream life or a dream job, everything that doesn't facilitate getting that has to get out of the way. So your life has mm-hmm. to reorganize. So when you are in the shit, remember that you requested it for that Mm. thing that's in the long run. And I start to really see that, that life shuffles in front of you, the things you need to deal with to get the thing.
1: Mm -hmm. So it's not like a matter of blowing up your life, but as you start to move more towards the truth of who you are, then things start to change and things start to reorganize. And it's, the sooner you can let go of what's not serving you, the sooner you can allow what's meant to be to come in. But there is that lag period in between where it's like, this does not feel
0: good. That's (laughs) like the trust, you know, the knowing, the trusting God, the trusting the universe, whatever your belief system is, is, you know, and it's that, you know, I remember hearing Alan Watts talking, the message, one of the really beautiful messages that I heard from him was that you sort of only know God when you know choice like you know god when you know free choice free exactly work. well that's like the whole point brilliant exactly. like yeah that's actually the whole point
1: but there's also this idea between like head knowledge and embodiment of it like you can read a book and and for many years i was like okay i read this that makes sense to me but when you walk through it and you experience it that's when you embody it and you know it as truth like you you know the sound of truth because you'll have like a visceral reaction to it. You'll have something that resonates. You'll be like, oh, that hit me or it'll make you have an aha moment or whatever you want to call it. And that kind of gets processed in one layer. But then when you apply that and you take that knowledge and walk through it, and that's what happens in these dark times. That's what happens in this in-between space. I call it in the book, the caterpillar goo stage, where you're like <laughs> this squishy little uh-huh. caterpillar that is entering this cocoon of transformation because you you just have a sense that something on the other side is great. You have no idea what it is. There is this process that is a little bit uncomfortable that you go through. I mean in the sense of a caterpillar, you're essentially liquefied, but everything that you have within you to become a butterfly is already in you. It's just being reorganized. So the book is essentially not saying like you have to change who you are as a human. It's you have to uncover who you are as a human. So everything you need to get everything you want in your life for all of your dreams to come true is already within inside. Like it's already inside of you. You have it in you. You just need to remember that it's there. And the whys that we pick up on the way to becoming adults that are able to kind of be self-governing humans in society, those are the things that change. Those are the, um, that's where the real transformation happens. When you start to recognize them for what they are, their, their stories, their lies, their ideas about yourself that aren't actually the truth, that's when everything changes. And that's when true transformation happens
0: you separate your truth from or the truth quote mm-hmm. because that's so specific to a person um from the collective truths you've chosen to participate in exactly now and that because there's obviously some things we're taught that are really great you know Some yeah oh gosh yeah people. um but most of the things of like wanting to please everyone around us or get our self-worth through the validation of other people. Mm-hmm. You only realize when you've spent your life doing that, that you never really sought your own self-worth. So it's always mm-hmm. in the hands of your relationship, in the hands of your father or mother's approval yeah. or mother, or in your religion's affirmation of your being a good person. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to knowing you're innately a good person and you can have sex before marriage. Yeah. Or like, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, can, you actually might even be a better person.
1: Yeah. If you're yeah. being true to yourself, absolutely. And it it's was like
0: empowered and use protection <laughs> for everyone listening. But, yeah.
1: For all yeah. the people out there who are like, yeah, Mark. like yes.
0: you just said to put it in or however you define, <laughs> it, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. But I think that's, to me, that's what my understanding of the divine is. It's knowing that there's a part of you that is connected to everything in the universe and that you're also a human, and you're meant to use the human part of you to express that divinity. It's not God is a thing that punishes you for having sex before you're married, or God is a thing that doesn't want these people to be included, or you have to behave a certain way. I think God is the expression of love. It's it's really just understanding that we are all on this planet and have no idea what we're doing here, but we're all connected.
0: That's the collective truth. No <laughs> one knows what the fuck Nobody knows there. what the fuck we're doing. The point of life is to figure it out. That's not to thing. know. We were not born with perfect recipes. No. They are them down. Like,
1: this is just ideas. Like, everything is real. Like, nobody knows anything for sure. So anybody that's like, this is the only, om- this, the- this is it, it's like, oh, well, OK, maybe. Run but-
0: from them. Run yeah. from them.
1: Yeah. Any, any radicals that believe that there's only one way of doing things, I think that's something that needs to be questioned. But I do believe that there is an innate sense of truth within all of us that will resonate when we are in alignment with it. Mm-hmm. And so that that comes with the people that we interact with. And you'll be attracted to certain people until you recognize the truth of who you are, like you're going to keep attracting the same things until you learn the lessons that you need to learn. Essentially. That's my core belief is that.
0: I fully agree with you. Patterns but, only repeat themselves until you yeah, change it. That's you
1: change. And till then, you change. then you're like,
0: One choice. Oh, look at One that. Choice, completely different life.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so it's really just going through a process that will help you to uncover those patterns and Reorganize them so that they're actually in alignment with the truth of who you are, or your soul, as I call it.
0: So, with your when you unlayered and did all the things, did you get divorced before you left the religion, or was that sort of a unitary moment? Was that all? Because I know in Jehovah's in Jehovah's, uh <laughs> there's a like divorces not celebrated. Yeah. You know. Like most religions, yeah. But like I have a really good friend whose family basically just abandoned him because he got divorced, and he mm-hmm. hasn't spoken to them in like fucking eighteen years. Like you
1: know, that I mean,
0: yeah, that's, that's another, another podcast, podcast episode. <laughs> <but> that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's bullshit to me, but mm-hmm. to be punished for your humanness is, fucking yeah, bullshit. I, yeah, it gets me so I'll get so mad right now. So I, can't, I know I, I get pretty
1: fired up too. So yeah. let's like divert and like I'll take well, a Such
0: moment. the ultimate punishment to a human is to be cast out of their community and their which is that the is- whole point of doing that so you can maintain control of someone. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, if you use fear as a weapon, everybody, like, oh, don't even get me started. Anyway, so, yes.
0: so, so how did
1: that go? How did the series of events go? Essentially, I started pulling away from the religion because I was having such a dissonance with um, what I was hearing and what I just was like, I can't buy this anymore. Yeah. And as soon as I was like, cool, Okay, I'm standing up for myself. I'm choosing to not be guilted into going to meetings anymore. I'm leaving this religion. It was like, oh, shit, I have made every decision in my life based on the belief structure of this religion. And that includes the person I married, the people I hang out with, like the job I chose, like everything was wrapped up in this
0: religion. everything sort of is like crumbling at the idea. You leave the religion Oh, like the whole foundation is based. That's the oh, foundation like, of everything <laughs> being built.
1: Oh yeah, it was. It was. It was oh a big God. realization where I was like, "Oh, dude, if I'm gonna do this, I really." Oh boy, everything goes with it. Yeah, it's so, like a domino. Hey. Oh yeah, it, it was like a one of those like massive like spiraling the,
0: ones, the long ones, yeah, the ones the that really, last like,
1: the ones couple years, forever, and you're yeah. just watching <laughs> it all unfold mm-hmm. and like oh, shit, I started this thing and I I can't go back. And so religion first, marriage second. um, Well, religion, friends, all of that stuff, marriage. And then it was just like, I'm all alone in the world.
0: Is it just a lull? Is that the lull you were talking about between the ending and the beginning? that you were saying? that you. Well, have
1: to... I wish it was just that, but it seemed to go on for like a few years as I was yeah. trying to figure things out. But the other thing too, it's funny when my, I was talking to my therapist about this and I was like, but it, I like, she's like, well, if you're not happy in this religion, then leave. And I was like, well, I can't because everything's tied up in it. And she's like, you'll be fine. I had another client. He left a year later. He's like, got his whole life together. And I was like, a year? Like I can't a year? Like that's impossible. I can't
0: do that. I could do another fifty in this way, but exactly one where do one where it's like yeah, uncomfortable yeah, yeah. and where I, food tastes really good though finally <laughs> and everything tastes better and the world smells better. Right?
1: Like I see in color, I can't do it. Yeah. And then I realized that was exactly it. I was like, oh, it's either I go back to this for like another like however long, or I I do it. And it was actually less than a year and it was, it's wild. And this is the thing that I talk about in the book. Like when you start aligning with yourself, the universe literally lines up with you and starts like, it's like, oh, this girl means business. And it starts throwing shit your way that helps you (laughs) along the way. Like you're never left without another step. It doesn't mean the next step that you have, that you're going to take is easy yeah it's it's often simple it's like well this is the thing you're supposed to do but you have
0: to contact this person you're gonna have to have this conversation you're gonna have to start this business
1: yeah get vulnerable be courageous like employ all of these like noble truths and powers within yourself to move yourself forward and so that's essentially what happened i i i just started putting one foot in front of the other like nervously terrified i talk about it like I was scared for a long time because I was just like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I feel like (laughs) a a brand new baby in this like big scary world, and I need to figure (laughs) it out. I have no choice.
0: Sign that you're expanding, right? I don't know that. That means you're living on your edge. That means every new moment is new. Which I I learned eventually that the certainty of life Mm is just to have certainty and safety. But the certainty of knowing how the next moment's going to work out means it's a moment I've already lived. And I started to fall in love with the deliciousness of uncertainty, Mm. deliciousness of not knowing. Mm -hmm. And that's a scary as fuck place to be, but it becomes home.
1: Totally. Yes. And at first I used to call them, oh shit moments. Like when I was younger, (laughs) I was like, oh shit, like I'm going to do this thing. It's really scary. And now I'm like, I live for those. Like if I'm not feeling like a certain level of, um, uncertainty in my life I'm like oh gosh like what am nope. I even doing
0: my board what the fuck is happening here I'm not uh, yeah. creating anything new it's
1: just that I traded certainty um, for growth as my primary like driving force and yeah. so that feeling of growth comes with this feeling of uncertainty or like as you mentioned the deliciousness of not knowing how life is going to unfold. And that's what brings you into the present moment. And that's where real life happens. Like you can't change anything in the past. You can't do anything about what's in the future, but you can affect it by the moment that you're in right now. And so the more you can kind of get settled into that space of not necessarily knowing exactly how it's going to turn out, but allowing it to like, allowing life to move through you, that's when things get super exciting. But it takes a little bit of like maneuvering and understanding and learning to find certainty within yourself so that you can confidently stand in that moment, not knowing how it's going to go and still own it and still like be moving in the direction that you have as far as the vision for your life is concerned. And it's a process and it took me a long time to figure it out. But, um, and I think it's one of those things, like it's a constant evolution. We're never like Mm -hmm. there. You know what I mean? It's like this constant journeying through life. And
0: just keep expanding.
1: Exactly. So things change, but there is a certain connection that once you have with yourself, that doesn't change. And that's the thing that allows you to keep stepping up and keep growing and keep evolving and keep reaching into the biggest possible version of yourself that you can be.
0: When I think to like that certainty part that we seek outside of us because we are not confident in who we are, it mm-hmm. starts to become certainty that starts to get internalized. Like totally. no matter what is going on in the world outside of me, I know that the world inside of me is peaceful mm-hmm. and there's a knowing and I'm connected to truth, which means I don't need that validation.
1: Exactly. Anymore. I'm not,
0: you know, I don't need to walk around with a kickstand and a cane, you know, although some yeah. people. Literally, literally need to walk around with a cane. So I don't mean it for them. Like, wait, if I get connected to myself, I can get rid of this cane? Yes, you can. I'm healed. <laughs> amen. Exactly. Can I
1: get an amen? Yeah, not quite like that, but there's this real um, sense of certainty. And that's what I think self-love is. That is the elusive um well of fullness that we're all looking for in these things outside of ourselves. I know for years I was looking for it in the clothes that I wore, the car that I drove, like the people that I knew were where I thought my sense of worth and value came from until I started realizing, like, if you just ask yourself the question, like what happens if you say, lose your job or you lose your partner or you lose like your looks or whatever it is, like, if you have your value tied up in something outside of yourself or something that can, can change, then of course you're always going to be constantly searching for more and you're, you're never going to feel secure. But if you can build that foundation of connection with yourself and understand that your inherent value is in the fact that you are right here on this earth in this moment, you are worthy just because you're here And when you own that, and not just like head knowledge, but coming back to that idea of embodiment and experiencing that for yourself by choosing yourself, by allowing your desires to matter, by fulfilling your own needs instead of like relegating it to somebody else to come in and save you. When you can own that for yourself, that is true authentic power. That is where that fullness and that sense of belonging and worthiness really starts to move you in a direction that you can't possibly even imagine. Like even like this past year, just being able to stand in a place of feeling that for myself has opened up so much. Like I wrote a freaking book. Like that's a thing that I didn't even think was (laughs) possible. And
0: yeah, when you were looking at that fridge, you weren't thinking one day there's going to be a book I love more than this.
1: No, not. Well, (laughs) I mean, uh, uh, Why'd you gotta bring that fridge up again? <laughs> but but really it's just I think the thing that we search for most is a connection with ourselves. And as soon as you can get right with yourself, you start getting right with the entire world around you. So it's not a matter of like changing the world. It's a matter of changing your world, like your inner world. And that creates such an effect around the people around you. It causes like your elevation and your expansion causes the people around you to rise up to that opportunity for themselves as well. And
0: exactly it. yeah, your relationships must expand
1: to yeah.
0: stay in expansive presence.
1: Yeah. And, and if they don't, then, then, then that's fine too. And maybe one day they will, but it's not your responsibility to drag them along and it's no. not your responsibility to force them to grow. And, um, and to shrink to meet
0: them, yeah. you know? That's, a, oh, that's God, actually man. not a gift to either of you. Mm-mm. The gift to anybody is to invite them to rise and meet you. Especially if you're rising. If you have to suppress your growth for people, you'll resent them, hate them, and you'll get sick anyways.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, like, as far as energetics are concerned, like, that's the cause of a lot of sickness, like physical ailments, is just this Dorn. denial yeah. of our our need and our our predisposition for growth and expansion
0: i was listening to carolyn mace the other day on uh, her tedx her. talk
1: mm-hmm. and she
0: said she had one line that i just loved. i know she's like I, i'm she's like judge judy meets eckhart tolle oh like, gosh she's like, just the a yeah she's
1: yeah, it's like tough. straight
0: fire oh yeah, yeah. straight fire it.
1: that's exactly it
0: yeah. I'm a little I'm i might never on the podcast and i'm a little nervous the fire she's going to burn me with yeah. <laughs> really I'll pray, Mark. No, Yeah, like, You curse because you're insecure. I'll be like, damn it. Ah.
1: <laughs> you see <Yeah>. it.
0: <laughs> but yeah, she, she said in her TEDx talk, if there's one thing I've learned in my however many years, I think 50 or 40 years of mm-hmm. healing work, it's that liars don't heal. Mm, truth. Yeah. The Body is not meant to hold a lie. Mm-mm. And She has a great book called Why People Don't Heal, and she goes more into that, um, Mm -hmm. that we can, like, make exchanges, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I'll stay together for the kids till this time. And the Mm -hmm. body might, the soul might be okay with that agreement, but if you break that agreement further, you will get sick. So she has, like, God, she's, she's fire.
1: She is an incredible, uh, incredible woman. And she's like, she's changed a lot of things as far as I'm concerned, like in my own life, just reading her work. But I believe that so deeply that the denial of ourselves is not something that goes unnoticed by our bodies, like our physical bodies, like every cell in our body picks up on the resonance of whether or not we're being truthful to ourselves or not. And the more in tune you get with yourself, the more you start to feel like, oh God, that doesn't feel good when I'm like saying yes to something that I know I don't want to actually do. And you get so uh-huh. sensitive um, to the truth, essentially. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And it's also like, ah, damn it. I like, Because it, it makes you rise up and, and do things that are challenging, but
0: yeah, you're I'm, courageous I'm enough to do it. Level. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, awareness births responsibility. Sorry, really? You no, know, life was easier when I could just do a shot of tequila and dance on a speaker. But,
1: but was I, it really like? Ugh. I mean,
0: I didn't know it could get better. <laughs> at the time, that wasn't so bad, you know. Make out yeah, or yeah, you know, get lost in a bottle of beer. I mean, obviously, life was pretty empty at the time. But hey, you know, you had <laughs> some rap music playing in the background. I felt pretty good for a moment.
1: And you could just drink some more, you know what I mean? And then you get into these cycles of like okay. substance abuse or like you were saying before, like you double down on the things, like on your coping mechanisms in a in a big way to get you through that feeling of emptiness.
0: I always think of it like we try to meet needs with wants. Mm-hmm. So like we need security, so we buy more mm-hmm. things or we totally. need, you know, or we need security. So we, we demand engagement or we yeah. demand, we have a baby. Yeah. Like we meet needs with wants and it's a dangerous thing to do, but it's what we're taught to do because we have a whole marketing system that's built to make us replenish our nothing, our feeling of lack. Totally.
1: And then you get to the point where you're like, well, now what do I do? Because I did all this stuff to like fill it up. And I feel like I have to blow up my life essentially. So yeah, it's like this weird cycle that we get ourselves into. And it's like, ah, how do you get out of it?
0: Well, your book is beautiful.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I, mean, thank I had you. the
0: pleasure of reading it a while ago now. And yes.
1: And writing the so- foreword for it. And that was also really beautifully done. And I know I said it before, but I,
0: I super appreciate it. It was, so uh, beautifully it was written. such an honor, such an honor to have the opportunity to uh. um, participate in your journey and to continue to just like watch you unfold and expand. And like you said, the me- the momentum of the universe just like, Carrying you and propelling you and giving you what you need when you need it and yeah, it's
1: pretty wild and pretty magical. Like life gets pretty good when you do, when you decide to to do the work and dig in and be courageous enough to allow yourself to really be who you are.
0: So how where can people find you? What do they do? Well, they um, you, all the places
1: LeahBrathwaite dot com is my website. My actually you better spell that out website. <laughs> All 26 letters of the alphabet. Oh,
0: right.
1: um, so L E A H B R A T H W A I T E dot com. Um, okay. You can get the book, you can get my program, um, get in touch with me. All of the good stuff is on there. And I'm most active on Instagram at leah.brathwaite. And yeah, I love to connect with people. So
0: yeah, if anyone is going through something along those lines and needs a shock to the heart, no problem. <laughs> we'll do that. And your book is A New Way of Life, a guide for transformation from living a lie to freeing your soul.
1: That's it. Yeah. Well,
0: thank you for sharing how to do that and give us a little taste on that people can survive when they blow up the very foundation of their <laughs> life. And
1: yeah. If I can do it, anybody can do it. Absolutely.
0: And it's required, you know, the mm-hmm. world needs you in your truth. The world needs you in your essence. The world needs yeah. you in that because that invites everyone to that space. And although transformations are painful, they are invitation, yeah. you know, for everybody around. And that's why like one change, life changes fucking so many lives.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's a ripple effect. Like the more love you have for yourself, the more love you are able to extend to others. Like you can only meet somebody as deeply as you've met yourself. And when you do that, literally everything starts to transform.
0: Well, thank you so much for being on today.
1: Thank you. It's been such an honor.